Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 264 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. First of all, we'd like to thank Colonial Surety Company Bonds and Insurance for bringing you this podcast. Whatever court bond you need, get a quote and purchase online at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. And we'd also like to thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. And we want to mention that the second edition of our book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, is available on Amazon. Everyone agrees that collaboration is essential in today's world, but now more than ever before, knowing the right tools will make all the difference. As I like to say at the start of all of our recent podcasts, what a difference another week or two makes. And things, Tom, just keep changing and changing. In our last episode, we shared some preliminary thoughts on a new project Tom and I are starting in a category some people are calling the second brain. And that's something we'll be returning to in the very near future. In this episode, we wanted to take a step back a deep breath and reflect on what we've learned so far in 2020 and whether, uh, if anything that we've learned so far will really help us get ready for the rest of 2020. Fasten your seatbelts. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we will indeed be taking a mid-year look at 2020, what we've learned about lawyers working with technology during this time, and uh, pulling, I think, a few lessons from it. Uh, In our second segment, we will again answer another question from our voice mailbox. Yay! So remember, leave your questions. Our number there is 720-441-6820. We'd love to feature you during our B segment. Uh, And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, we've been trying to make sense of our experiences and challenges in 2020 and see if we can draw any lessons from it at this point. Um, it's hard to believe that it's been only roughly three months since we all started working outside our usual office environment. It seems like so much longer than that. And yet, so much has changed um, as lawyers and law firms are having to adapt very quickly to a very, very different work environment. So we thought we'd take a look back at this very long three months that we just went through and try to draw some conclusions from it. Dennis, is this a crazy thing for us to do or no? Yes, it is crazy, but someone has to do it. And what I've what I've found is that most of the lawyers I talk to are pretty much in denial and are expecting to get back to normal really quickly and see this as just a, a little blip and are already congratulating themselves on their, their victory over uh, everything that's happened. I am a, a little dubious there, so but I, th- I think it's useful to to look at at what 
what we've learned, what we're hearing, and and maybe share some some thoughts about that. So I don't think it's crazy, and probably lessons that we draw right now are not going to help us uh, ultimately, or they're not going to be as right as we would hope they do, but uh, let's do that. So uh, my question, based on what I've seen so far, Tom, is uh, do all roads lead to Zoom? Well, I mean, that's probably a good headline to say it. I mean, it's probably a good uh, title to describe what the last three months are like. I think probably the better description is that all roads are leading to video meetings, that video meetings have been the star of the last three months. Zoom clearly seems to be the leader um, from a volume perspective, but uh, Microsoft Teams, Google Meet, they're all right up there. I think that the fact is, is that when you're forced to work from home, having a way to look at people and see people, no matter whether you get Zoom fatigue, whether watching people on a screen all day long is exhausting and psychologically damaging, um, I think that there is a benefit to seeing people. Um, and, and you know, there are times during the week where I've tuned into webinars just so I can see other people's faces while they're talking rather than just sit on a phone call or, or we have lots of calls on Teams where people don't even turn their camera on. And, and I, say, I just have to say, I enjoy that. I've enjoyed that aspect of this is, is that we've been able to keep a semblance of seeing people face-to-face by video. It's not the same. It is different. But um, I think everyone is kind of adjusting to it. You know what's what's interesting about the Zoom phenomenon, and and I think you're right. There's it's just the online uh, web meeting phenomenon, really. That there's a number of of tools. Is that some people look back to the the TV show The Jetsons and say, "Where's where's my uh, where's my flying car?" But the other thing the Jetsons had that people talked about is like, "Where is the video phone? Like, where?" When are we going to have this video phone? It's sort of like in the last three months, we we have it, and you know, big big time. Um, so I think that is a that is a big one, and people are kind of surprised both how well they've taken to it, and uh, and then how sometimes uh, there are there are a lot of uh, the Zoom fatigue complaints, uh, which I think go to two things. One is I think there is a physiological effect that people have written about, but I also think that. The online meetings tend to amplify like really poor meetings, you know, where there's not agendas, uh, there's not focus, there's other things like that, and that gets that gets amplified a bit. So I think that's number one. And then, not to kind of pat ourselves on the back, Tom, but really, uh, I do want to pat ourselves on the back because this does seem to be the golden age of collaboration tools and technologies and. Gosh darn it! Our, our, the, our choice of a topic for a book is uh, predicted the future exactly, right? But I'll, does it really? I mean, are we really seeing a golden age of collaboration tools and technologies? I mean, we are publicly seeing a rise in the use of video conferencing tools. We're seeing a rise in the use of communication tools like Slack and Microsoft Teams, but. Really, what else are we hearing about outside of our group, outside of what we're doing, that people are using to collaborate? I would argue that I would argue that we are looking at the baby steps of collaboration, that people are understanding kind of the notion of what collaboration means, and that video and 
communication tools are the first obvious step in this. And frankly, what I think that this should be is this should be the golden age of trying out collaboration tools while you're home and while it makes sense. I'm not confident that, you know, all the things we talk about in our book, all the ways that you can collaborate with somebody on the internet, I think most lawyers really haven't had to deal with them or tried to explore them in here and that their, their you know, venture out into the collaboration waters is very shallow and is mostly limited to tools like Zoom or Slack or Microsoft Teams or something like that. Yeah, we were talking today, Tom, about hearing people talk about how uh, it was going to be great to start using the browser as, you know, f for all the things that you did and, and how that was really something that we had talked about a long time ago. So I, I think that there's the use of collaboration tools that's happening outside the legal industry and what's happening inside. And I think there is just a huge gap there. Um, and you see some places, lawyers, I actually sort of, it's interesting to me. I, I sort of see this at the, the solo in small firm level where uh, lawyers are doing some really interesting things in the collaboration uh, area, sometimes just because uh, the economics dictated or the client needs do it or you can't get out. And so you see more more of that uh, than, than you do in, in the larger in, environment. So uh, it is interesting, but I, I, I like what you said, Tom, about how it should be the golden age of trying new tools uh, because there are a lot of them out there and a lot of them just really help you in, in so many ways. I mean, we, we sometimes joke about Doodle, but the fact that you can you know, go onto a website and have everybody pick the times that works for them and, and then schedule a meeting without exchanging, you know, 500 emails is, is a great, a great free tool that it just shocks me when, when somebody hasn't heard of it. I'm now getting, I'm now getting requests from people who didn't used to use Doodle to say, Hey Tom, can you set up a meeting? Please send everybody a Doodle so that we can get this done. And I would never have expected they would have said that before, but I think that's become part of, of the normal course of things. And that's I, I think that we're going to get there with a lot more collaboration tools. I just think it's going to be slower and, and limited to need and what we have to do at the moment that, that kind of force us to use these tools. You know, the one thing that I really am starting to hear about that I, I'm fascinated by is that um, especially in the large firm space, people are uh, looking to have people come back to the office, and they're they're you know working on what they need to do that and bring people back. And what they're finding is that people don't want to come back, and that a lot of people have really uh, liked working from home and not commuting, and and you know some of the other aspects of going to an office, especially in in big cities. And so uh, I've, I've heard people who, you know, are on the, the management side of, of firms really wondering about what it is they're going to do once it's time for people to come back to the office and people won't do that and what that may mean for uh, commercial real estate and office space for firms and, and what's going on. So that, that is actually a trend I'm really paying attention to. Well, I think... We risk moving us away from technology because this is not necessarily a technology issue, but but I th I think that 
I think firms have to be prepared for that. And, and I don't work a lot with law firms, but I work a lot with companies. And what I'm finding is, is that those companies are in no rush to go back. And frankly, that's affecting our business because some of what we do with these companies require that they be in an office, or at least some of them be in an office to do that. And I, I really think that there needs to be some level of preparation for workers who are not comfortable coming back to the office. You know, I, I, I've, been, I've, been reading, I've been reading stories about how the logistics of navigating an elevator is going to be totally different now. I, I, I went to my dentist's office a couple of weeks ago, and, uh, and, and I walked into the elevator. I mean, it's usually a, a deserted building, so I don't really have a lot of people there. And there were exactly two spaces in the elevator that you could stand. They had them designated that you could either stand in one corner or in the other corner, and you couldn't, so that literally only two people could be in an elevator, according to the rule anyway. And so I don't know how that's going to work out. What, but what, what I do see these days right now is the willingness to be flexible. To, there's a willingness right now of most companies and most law firms to be flexible, and what I think is going to be interesting, and the big question is, Will that flexibility remain when it is, I guess I'll say, safer to go back to the office? When, when people, when it makes sense, you know, I think there's one thing to say, come back to the office when around us we see a new wave of, of stuff hitting. So it may not make sense right now, but when it gets to the point where it's safer, will there still be people who say, you know what? I'm good. This is this makes sense for me. I'm productive here. I'm productive at home. Let me work at home. I'm very intrigued to see how law firms are going to react to that in the long term. Yeah, I got to say, Tom, that I don't know if there's enough Xanax in the world to get me into an elevator in Texas right now. So uh, the uh, an empty elevator isn't so bad. I mean, it's it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's they're all sanitized. It's all fine. That's yeah. right. Uh, I think I would. I think I would struggle with that. And then I would also say that part of what you're you're seeing too in some of these conversations is that uh, some of the more creative people, some of the people you'd want to keep in your firm, the innovators, uh, you know, the up and coming uh, stars in your firms are some of the people who don't want to come back in the office and what leverage are they going to have? Are they going to be leaving at a place that would say you have to come into office like X number of days? I've seen people who've, you know, have a thing where uh, they need to come, you know, like one shift comes in one week and another group of people comes in the following week and you just, you know, and then if anybody tests positive, then everybody goes into quarantine and you just really wonder like, what the heck? is going to go on and if you're if you're saying i've i can do all the work i want i can do everything for my clients i can do all my projects i don't have to uh i don't have to get dressed i you know i don't have to commute uh, i don't have to go into the office and then wait in line for the elevator and be scanned and all this sort of stuff i can be super efficient and do other things um i think it's going to be a talent retention issue on on the working from home so Speaking of working from home, Tom, like how, what have we seen for us personally has happened over the last few months? I, I know that if there's any chance for you to buy new hardware and software, you jump on it. So uh, uh, I suspect that that's probably what you're going to talk well, about. Well, no, actually, I'm not. I will talk about it more in a little bit, but I will say that. 
when you are at home with nothing else to do, buying hardware seems to be my go-to uh, to fill the time. So that does make sense. But I mean, part of the part of the, it, this is an unfair question for me. I've been working from home for the last twelve years, so not a lot has changed for me. I mean, not getting out much and wearing masks when I do get out that has changed. Wear mask, people. Um, as I've been, as I've mentioned, you know before. I had my adjustment phase a while back, so adjusting to working from home is pretty simple for me, and, and now I just have one additional person working here in the house with me, which is actually kind of nice. Um, I, I think that from a work standpoint, collaboration with my work people is much the same, although what's interesting is it did push us to move all in on Microsoft Teams. When we were... Before everybody was before every, everybody else moved into the home, we were using regular phone bridges to talk to people. But once we saw that all of our clients wanted to use video, they were all joining Zoom meetings and we could see their faces. Now that they're all using video conferencing, we moved to Teams and we haven't moved back. We canceled our phone bridge. We're not using that anymore. We use phone lines on Teams and we got rid of most of our go-to-meeting accounts. That's been kind of the biggest change as we've noticed that we are... We are using Teams more to collaborate in a way of having meetings with people, which I think is mixed results. People are not as comfortable using a tool like Teams as they might be with Zoom. Zoom is a lot easier um, to use, I think, from the interface standpoint, but, uh, but it's been a good experience overall. What about you, Dennis? Well, I, for me, it's just a, a few things. So I, I was working from home. So the big one was going from teaching at classes at Michigan at Michigan State to, you know, from in-person to online. So that was, a, that was a big thing. And then when we go back to jobs to be done and what are we hiring technology to, I realized that um, I'm not really traveling anymore. So my thought process on technology is is working from home. And even though I wrote two books by walking a half mile down the street to work at the public library, that option isn't there. So you've talked me into the, into the larger monitor. I'm not up in your range. I bought the 32-inch one, and I'm starting to be a convert on that. So that's changed. And then I've just tried to really, you know, lean into learning some of the collaboration uh, tools that people work and then being uh, super flexible myself and making it easy for people to connect with me, you know. So I don't really bog down on, like, what's the better tool? Is it Teams? Is it Zoom? Is it WebEx? Whatever. It's like, hey, whatever somebody needs to use, I'm fine. I'm going to work with it. And I'm fairly, you know, although although I pretty much live on the Mac, I, you know, my wife has a Windows computer. And, and you know, if, if I need to to use it uh, for for that reason, which I do on 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 some some things, and I then I switch to that. So that's one of the things I've been recommending to people when I talk about technology and collaboration for lawyers is uh, is one of the things you really need to think of is how do I make it easy for my client to work with me? And uh, so I've, I've tried to take that to heart. So I. I think, has there been anything during the past three months that has really stood out to you as noteworthy? And I'm going to say, frankly, and, and, I, and I would encourage you to disagree with me. The biggest thing that stands out to me is that I would expect a time like this, which, you know, the word unprecedented is overused in this substance, but it is unprecedented. In a time like this, I would expect to see 
some amazing innovations in the law that I don't really see happening. I don't really see things that are happening that are just going, wow, this is very cool. I've seen some tools be rolled out to help people who are suffering right now either protest, you know, getting evicted or deal with landlords and certain issues. But to a certain extent, some of those already existed before this. Um, I've seen a couple of those things happen, but there's lots of people at home with time on their hands. There's lots of, uh, I mean, not just in the legal space, but everywhere. I would expect to see more new uses of technology. And I've got to be honest, I don't really see that that's happening. Am I, am I totally missing something, Dennis? Um, there are some things I would say you're missing, but I think in the overall scope of things, I, I think you're right. So one, it is, although it seems like it's 300 months, it really has been three months, but I was just watching this, this thing on the PBS NewsHour tonight about, uh, this, I wouldn't call it a hackathon necessarily, but basically a contest for people to, to come up with new ways to create very low cost ventilators. And there were a bunch of teams around the world, and they're down to like seven finalists. And people are doing some really cool stuff. And when you look at, at the legal space, you you don't see that so much. In fact, I, I tend to see in law people going for very, what I would call, incremental innovation and kind of patting themselves on the backs for what are kind of small achievements, you know, like, oh, we're using Zoom. Oh, we, you know, uh, all everybody can log into the office from home. You know, we figured out this new way to s- schedule meetings. Uh, we're using Outlook better, that, that sort of thing. And then I'm also concerned, uh, and I actually will have a post coming that's probably out by the time people are listening to this, about how I just don't feel that the conversations are happening between lawyers and clients on technologies, and that's key for innovation. So I see some in access to justice area, as you see, early on, but I think where I'm seeing cool stuff is uh, judges and courts really working with the constraints and trying new things with the online hearings and, and really trying to look at things. So I think they've coped really well and they're starting to to gather the learnings from that to say, as we go forward, and we're clearly going to have big backlogs in the court system, can we take some of what we learn now? So I think it, actually the, uh, the court area and judge-led uh, innovation is starting to be super interesting to me. So I will. I do not want to downplay how important it is that that's going on. Totally agree. Love what we're seeing. It should have been happening years ago. It was this stuff was available to a certain extent years ago. And what I what I'm always amazed at. I'm I'm going to be the 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 grouch, get off my lawn guy for this podcast episode. But but it always takes something like this to force people to do something they should have been doing all along. And now everybody is like, oh my gosh, why haven't we been doing this? Why This is the most amazing thing. And it's like, well, you had the ability and people have been recommending it forever and you've all like, oh no, that's not possible. We must all be in court in person to give justice. There has to be full transparency. And we're learning that that's not the truth. Um, I think that the other thing that I find interesting and you and I've had conversations about this privately, is that that 
again, I don't see yet anyway that there's innovation going on with this. They're making use of the tools that they have, and that's good. Some of them are. Not every lawyer, not every judge is doing this, but some judges are, a lot of judges are. And they're just using the technology that they're given, and they're adapting how the courts run to how the technology lets them do it. And and, and what I really think is an interesting use in this space is finding a technology provider who is willing to work with the courts to provide something that works the way the courts work and how they need to work. And um, I think that, you know, I, I think that if tech companies come forward or if judges are willing to work with tech companies and say, you know what, we can make this whole online court thing much more efficient, much more feature rich. To me, that's innovation. And that's something that I think a lot of judges would get behind. Yeah. So two thoughts. So uh, one is that, you know, you and I have had this really tentative preliminary conversation about how uh, Microsoft Teams could become a platform in, as courts go more online. Um, and and I, I really see potential there and some things like that to get courts on the right platforms that can work. And the other thing I would say is that we're we're looking in at innovation in a crisis, and in a lot of ways, the courts are a bit of a front line. You know, I mean, not in the same way as hospitals, obviously, but they're doing a lot of triage, and and so it's hard to innovate at the same time you're in the middle of a crisis. I mean, it's clearly happening, but you don't get like the big where you go like, oh my god, this is like this mammoth new innovation. So it, yep. it has to be more incremental. Um, so I think there are those things. And there is a point, Tom, you didn't you didn't say that's this because you're too polite to do it, but I will say that it's kind of like, you know, we've been talking about this and, and other people have, but especially us on the collaboration side for a long time. It's like, hey, it's not it's not rocket science. I mean like pick up our book, you're going to go a, a long way ahead of what other people are, are, are doing at this point. So I, I think it's it's a good time uh, for that. So that's I, I expect the innovation to come more as we get closer to the end of the year and in the early part of next year, as I think we'll start to see some things that will really start to turn our head. And, and I still think it's going to be uh, the access to justice area that will be the, the leaders well, in this. Well, let me say my last piece on the courts, because I think what's going to be the key to me, for me anyway, is at some point the courts are going to open up again. At some point people are going to have, you know, I read an article that said we just did our first trial on Zoom and it was great, but we have this other kind of case and it really doesn't make sense to have it by Zoom. We're going to have it in person when we can have it in person. So my question is going to be how far back to normal courts will go when they open up again. You know, I I know some judges have said that Online courts are here to stay. We've now made, you know, we show that it works. It's going to work. But I've got to believe there's a whole lot of judges and and lawyers, frankly, out there who are ready to go back to the way things have always been. And so the question is going to be, what kind of momentum can be sustained from what's being seen right now? Or how much are people, you know, I think it's going to depend a lot on how physical courts change in terms of where you can be and how you can how you can be in a courtroom and 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 socially distance and and all of that but i'm very interested to see how much of this sticks once things go back to quasi normal anyway 
Right. We could do a whole podcast on this because I, you know, I have a strong opinion that there's going to be a massive move back to the way it was before and try to recreate it and then to find out that that can't happen and then the innovation will be the move forward from that. Because we're making a lot of assumptions that I don't know are true. Like how confident are we that we're going to fill courtrooms with juries of 12 people who are willing to take chances with their health. I, I I don't know that's that's going to be the case. And, you know, so, so we're just going to question a lot of things, but I think that all these law firms were planning to just go back to the office and call people to come back, and, and then people were saying, mm, no, I'm not coming back in the office. You know, you cannot make me feel it's safe enough to come back there. So, so I think we'll see that kind of a retrenchment then a move forward. And we're, we live in a time, right, time where everybody makes predictions about everything and we're all experts about stuff. So, uh, you know, it's my prediction. So might be right, might be wrong. Who the heck knows? But probably need to, to wrap up. Uh, I, I guess there's a couple things that I wanted to point out and maybe you can point out a few things. And, and so I think that we've really seen the benefit of the cloud in this time in so many ways. I think that helping out uh, your best talent with uh, technology, you know, like giving people monitors, chairs, stuff in the, like that to make it easier to work from home is going to make a big difference as you and the flexibility on how they work is going to help you retain your best employees. And probably the things that we've gotten, uh, uh, you know, we haven't dealt with, but they're, they're coming up uh, big to hit us are cybersecurity, privacy, confidentiality, and I, I, the interesting question, most interesting question for me is that if we look at the tech competence ethics requirement and how we thought of it in January versus how we think of it now, I just think it's two completely different worlds and, and probably two completely different standards at this point. Well, I think in terms, I mean, for me, the piece that's most interesting is is cybersecurity because we're already hearing that hackers are targeting work from home people because that's kind of the weakest vector of of place to be, and and I think that the whole cybersecurity industry in general should be working now on new ways to keep us safe at home. What I think is interesting, you talk about providing people with with equipment. What about firms providing? the cost of the fastest internet connection possible that you can get at home. Now, you're limited somewhat by your geography. Not everybody has access to good internet service wherever they happen to live, but I've noticed that that is one of the biggest limiters, not just in the law, but for school kids, frankly, and for anybody is if you don't have good internet, you're not getting on a video call. You're not getting, you're not doing your online school or doing whatever you need to do. And I think that, uh, I think that that's one interesting way of, uh, you know, getting some parity in, in how technology is by getting people, uh, you know, as similar or, or as good a connection as they can possibly get. Yeah, so I, I actually had this conversation with uh, someone recently where I said, you know, for an extra, what would it be for most people? Like an extra 20 bucks a month that you, if you just said to your employees working from home, we're just going to pay f for the fastest internet connection you can get. That's part of what we do. As an employee, you're going to have a great, a great feeling about that. Um, I, what I think 
happens though is, and I I heard it on the call I was on, is that uh, sometimes firms say, well, the employees will take advantage of that and they'll be playing games and and stuff like that. You're going like it's like twenty bucks a month to make people happy, and then their conferences will be better and all of these things, and then. You know, you also, I don't know, like the firms I was at when I worked at firms, I was always paying for parking. Like if I, if, if, you know, I had to pay my own faster internet connection and then I had a pay cut and I was also paying for parking when I couldn't go into the office, I would be saying, when's the first chance I can leave this firm? You know, and, and so I think it's like care of those small details will have a big impact on retaining the best employees, but uh Probably a good place to stop. Hey, Tom. I think it, that's true. I think we've said enough here, but I bet we will revisit this topic in a few months, probably. So, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. Wish you could get a quote and purchase an appeal, trustee, estate, or any other court or fiduciary bond quickly online? Colonial Surety Company has every bond you need and is a direct insurer that's U.S. Treasury listed licensed in all 50 states and territories, and rated A excellent by AM Best. So you can be confident it's a trusted resource. Get started at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry, connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. We love to get questions from you, our listeners, at our voicemail line at 720-441-6820. In this episode, David in Pennsylvania liked our second brain project idea, and he's also a fan of Evernote, which he says he's used for 11 years, uh, which probably could be longer than than even you and I have, uh, Tom. And he had a few observations for us, so let's hear his voicemail. Hey guys, Dave Rakowski. I'm an attorney and writer in Allentown, Pennsylvania. I just listened to your second brain uh, uh, episode and uh, looking forward to hearing the steps that you're going through. But for me personally, um, I've been using Evernote for 11 plus years and uh, Evernote's been able to do everything that you guys uh, were discussing. So I look forward to hearing what process you go through with everything. And specifically to Tom's point about, well, what if there's something better two years from now? I think the uh, I think the issue is whatever tool you choose to be able to get your data out of that tool, because as we know, as you guys know, things change. And so uh, Evernote certainly has that. But uh, looking forward to uh, hearing about uh, your your experiment. And again, thank you so much uh, for the podcast and everything you do. Uh, Again, uh, Dave Rakowski, attorney and writer and college professor in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. And Tom, you want to start us off? Yeah, I'll just a couple observations about that. Thank you, Dave, for for sending us that voicemail. Um, I think Evernote's a great tool, and um, as Dennis alluded to earlier, we're going to be breaking down kind of our whole second brain project into a number of follow up episodes about some of the ways we're approaching this, and we're going to do 
at least one, if not more, episodes on the capture process. How do we capture information and what are the things we think about when capturing? And Evernote is certainly at the top of the list as, as a worthy second brain. I'll cut to the chase. I'm not using it, but I've used it in the past. I like it a lot, and I think it's it's definitely, I think one of the things we'll talk about with the second brain is, is that there's no one right answer. It's whatever works for you is the tool you should be using. And for a lot of people, Evernote is a great tool. What I found interesting is that it's all, I, it, he didn't say it in the message, but it's almost like Dave has read our book on collaboration tools and technologies because what he raises about you know, the fact that something may change two years from now, that's one of the criteria that we like to think about. That's one of the requirements for a good collaboration tool. Is it easy to export or move the things out of one tool into another? Dennis, you may want to talk about this more. You've been having some experience with this recently, so that may be something you want to talk about. But I think that the broader strategy is hopefully to go with something that's built for the long haul. But Dave is right. Things change. Companies go under, get bought. Other things happen. You know, we certainly had tools that have kind of fallen out from under us that we can't use. And suddenly you're with a legacy tool. Being able to move that content from the old tool to a new tool is a... We think, I think, a critical requirement, whether you're talking about a second brain, whether you're talking about a major piece of legal technology that's crucial for your firm. So I think that, David, you're, I think, on point with everything that you say. And um, and you shouldn't, when you choose something, you shouldn't necessarily think, well, what's going to come around two years later? It needs to factor into your decision making as to, is this something that I'm going to be able to get out of easily if I find something I like better two years later from now? Yeah, Tom, I think that Dave and you touched on some key points and as we've been thinking about. It. So I think that if you're looking at uh, the second brain notion, that it, to me it's impossible not to look at Evernote as part of the tools that you evaluate. You know, Whether you end up there or not, um, I don't know, because as, as we're realizing, this is going to be a very personal project. And so Tom and I actually have some pretty different goals in, in what we have in, in mind. Um, and then as you start to say, how, it needs to fit within the other tools that I'm doing and work with them. So I was starting to look to say, well, if I go to the Microsoft 365 stack as being a key part of my second brain, I don't know whether I'll end up there, but if I look at that, then I wouldn't want to take everything out of Evernote and put it into OneNote. Because I had so much stuff in Evernote when I did the, uh, the experiment with uh, exporting, I actually ran into some problems with the API, and I'm going to have to break. It looks like I'm going to have to break up that export into a couple smaller bytes, and and that's, you know, that may be a one-time thing um, and a hassle I have to deal with. But I'm also looking to say, well, maybe the second brain should just start with something new, and uh, you know, I start from scratch and I evaluate what's actually still in Evernote and whether I need to, to use it. But um, some really good points there. And uh, uh, yeah, and I have to say the main thing I agree is that if you're looking at this type of project, uh, Evernote has to be part of, uh, you know, on your list of, of, of what to what to evaluate. And I know 
uh, Tom, you and I were both invited to Evernote betas, so I know they have some some big changes planned, which could be a good thing, and and you know might turn out for your in your personalized uh, approach might not be what you want to see. So definitely some great points by Dave, and and we're always looking forward to uh, comments, questions from from our listeners. So uh, great to have the opportunity to talk about Dave's questions and comments. Uh, so now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So uh, the past couple of weeks, um, if you paid any attention to the tech news, you may have come across a story about a new email product called Hey, just Hey, exclamation point. Um, if you're familiar with the project management tool Basecamp, we've talked about it, I think, on this podcast at least once or twice before. Um, it's made by the company that makes Basecamp. It's a completely new email product that I've been testing out for the past week. I plan on writing a detailed review about it on my blog. I may bring, I may talk about it again on the podcast because it is a very interesting approach to managing email. I will say right now, after a week's worth of work in its current form, I would never recommend this for using with a work email account. I, I, it just is not that, it, it doesn't look at email the same way that we would need to look at it from a work standpoint. I use this with my personal account, and I'm finding a lot of very interesting features to it, mainly the ability to go through my email very quickly and classify it and categorize it the way I want to, get the junk out of there, move newsletters into a place where I can read them, label things that I might need to keep longer very easily and quickly. And I'm finding that very intriguing. Um, I think right it, when I signed up for it, it was only open to certain people with invites, but I think they've opened it up to anybody right now. There's a free 14-day trial. It does cost money. It, it'll be $99 per year if you want to go with it. Um, but I'm very intrigued. Uh, if, if you don't want to try it right now, stay tuned. I'll talk about more after I've had a little bit more time to play around with it. It's just hey.com. Dennis. You know, Tom, I kind of struggle with the idea of actually paying for an email tool. I'd rather have people pay me to receive their email that they send me. Um, well, that would be the but, ideal uh, situation, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, so I have two quick ones. So one f little follow-up on the, the larger monitor discussion we've been having. So I bought a new uh, Dell monitor, curved monitor, 32-inch. I couldn't go to the 38 uh, that, that Tom did. Had it for a few days. I'm really liking it. So uh, using it with the 12-inch MacBook, uh, dual monitor setup. So, so far, so good. And definitely something to consider these days as you're working more from home. The other one is uh, the is a lot of technology today. Uh, we've uh, uh, The blog, we've always done a monthly roundtable uh, article that uh, uh, on, on different legal tech topic. And uh, we just experimented with, and I think we're going to continue to do this, a live Zoom roundtable live in the sense that we recorded it together live, but it's it's available for download. So just check out the Law Technology Today blog and, and look for that Zoom thing. And you'll see us actually having a conversation about the roundtable topic. And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for this podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts along with transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can always reach out to us on LinkedIn, or if we haven't said it enough, you can leave us a voicemail at 
441-6820. We'd love to hear from you. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. And we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.